This is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full-Time Travel. I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. Before appearing as a contestant on ABC's The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise, Danielle Maltby was a neonatal nurse for over a decade. Since the show, she's decided to take some time away from the hospital to start her own podcast, The WOMED, a space for women in medicine to share their stories and have their voices and medical journeys heard. Danielle is deeply passionate about women and children's health. In 2017, she joined Lawala Community Alliance in Kenya, offering fundraising and medical assistance to community leaders and doctors. I caught up with Danielle as she was preparing to return for her third visit to discuss Kenyan hospitality, empathy, and how to be a conscious volunteer when traveling. Danielle, welcome to the trip that changed me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to speak to you and in particular to hear a bit more about your job because being a fan of the Bachelor franchise, I had noticed (laughs) that a lot of the contestants don't really have a job, (laughs) but you you have like a real calling and a vocation. So yeah, I'd love to hear a bit about how you got into doing what you do. Oh, yeah. Well, I started as a NICU nurse, like straight out of college. So I was 21, super fresh and green. And for anyone that doesn't know what NICU is, it's neonatal intensive care. So I was taking care of any infants that were born very prematurely or needed any sort of surgical intervention, had problems breathing, anything with their heart, their intestines, basically saw the most vulnerable of vulnerable (laughs) patients. But it was always so so fascinating to me. I loved learning. That population's just, it's its really cute, but it's also really tough. Mm. It's very emotionally taxing. Yeah, it seems like, obviously, you'd have to be a compassionate person to want to go into that line of work. But also, you can't take on every struggle and every loss. So how do you look after your own mental health? Well, I actually got to the point a couple months ago where I decided to take some time away from the bedside because we had like a a patient that was actively passing away and I was like I I just can't do it anymore. I can't I can't give another last bath. I can't bring this tiny little body down to the morgue. I can't be there emotionally for the parents anymore. And I was like I just felt like I had kind of hit my limit. And that's one thing I've been trying to learn more about with like nursing burnout. Is it very common? It's very common. Uh, We have, especially in the NICU, we have nurses that will quit or like change careers after like a year or two. And I'd been doing it for 12. (laughs) So it was a really heavy decision. But I decided that I needed to take some time away and spoke with um, my therapist a lot. I've been trying to do some research on nursing burnout. And if there's anything that any sort of resources out there that can be offered to other nurses that were in my position. So I've been working on that a bit and having those same kind of talks on on the WOMED with some of my listeners and stuff. So, yeah. Can you talk a bit more about the WOMED? Yeah. 
I felt like it's kind of the bachelor thing. Like everybody goes and starts a podcast. <laughs> they do, yeah. And I'm like, I don't, A, I don't really like talking about people that much <laughs> in, in that sort of manner. And I don't like breaking things down about the show too much because I know too much about it. I know that like these scenes that everyone's getting so mad about are so heavily edited. Mm-hmm. And probably also orchestrated by the producers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's an emotional toll. Mm. And I don't want to further anybody else's emotional toll. <laughs> so I was like, what do I know? I know nursing. I know the medical field. And at that point, I really wanted to give women an opportunity to have their voices heard more because there's there's so many incredible things that we're doing in the medical field. Like there's um, female scientists that are on the front lines of creating like the next line of antibiotics because we're all so antibiotic resistant at this point. Mm. And there's nurses who are in the army that are down in, you know, Mexico at the border camps trying to provide any sort of um, medical aid to these people that are stuck down there. And it's just, they're doing so many neat things. And I just really wanted um, to create a space where women could share everything that they're working on and feel heard and talk about the different struggles that they've had with throughout school or competing with the men in their field and like the pay gaps. And it's it's been so fascinating. I've learned so much and it's been a really fun resource for a lot of like new grads and stuff in in nursing and going to med school. And it's it's been wild. <laughs> it's been really neat. And I thought I heard a baby cry just then. Was that... Was that... No, it's my cat. <laughs> <laughs> she, she sounds like a baby. Um, She's like, attention, and... I need attention. Yes. <laughs> so one of the things that you'd always wanted to do was apply your medical skills abroad. And so yes. after you finished on The Bachelor an opportunity mm-hmm. came up to work with an organization called Lawala Community Alliance. How did that come about? Yes. It was actually kind of funny. I One of my friends texted me. Um, he's a photographer and he was going over there to shoot some like promotional footage and like photos and stuff for Lawala. And he was like, Dee, like I'm on my way to Africa right now. This is so cool. You've got to like check out this organization I'm working with. And I was like, uh, yeah. Okay. And so like, he's telling me a little bit more about it. And he's like, this is everything you've been talking about wanting to do. Like they cater to trying to keep like young girls in school and making them feel valued and, and like really pushing for like the women to be educated in these um, smaller villages and like really trying to help people see the value in women. And the more I learned about it, I was like, oh my God, this hospital is insane. They're doing so much great work. They've really bridged the gap between these like very small remote villages to like a a super high quality, like hospital, like medical center, you know? So like it's, it's a community hospital that they've built, but like around that they have created all these different programs that are really enriching the community and teaching people very important skills. And so like these communities are just thriving because it's focused on the people living there and giving them the tools to, to grow and, and survive. So it's, it's such an amazing organization. <laughs> yeah, I know you're already passionate about it. What was your role for the organization? So when I reached out to them, they were also huge Bachelor fans, which I think helped a lot because a lot of people are like, oh my God, how do you get in touch with these organizations? And how did you get this opportunity? And honestly, I feel like I have to 
really thank The Bachelor and like the platform that I kind of gained from that because initially my role was just kind of to talk about it and bring awareness to it and try and fundraise and then also use my medical background. So when I went over there, I was over there for about two weeks and I would go on rounds every day with the physicians and the nurses and the the pharmacists and stuff that they would have there. So I would go and do like assessments and stuff with the uh, patients at the hospital. But then I would also go on these home health visits with different like community workers and stuff. Or I'd go to the clinics that they would have set up for kids to come and get vaccinated or run HIV tests or any kids that could come that had like a Uh, like a cold or something like that, you know, or that they could just be seen and visited. Like they set up all these different little times that like, in case people couldn't get to the hospital itself, that they could come and just continue to have these little things that would bridge the gaps between the people that live like really far out from the hospital. So I just got to see a bunch of, bunch of like their inner workings and sit in on meetings and provide patient care and do some deliveries and it was (laughs) all kinds of things (laughs) all kinds of things how how did you prep for the trip in terms of training my whole background is in NICU so and and like child life and basically centers around like pediatrics so I told them that up front most of the patients I saw were all in like the pediatric rooms And the home health visits I went on were all doing like growth checks and stuff for some of the kids in the community that they were worried about. So I brushed up on like some of like my more pediatric skills because NICU babies are a lot smaller in (laughs) the like ranges for like heart rates and um, what might be normal for like a two year old is completely different for a three month old. Mm -hmm. So I just brushed up on a lot of that, but also just kind of kept researching the organization and um, talking to like the director and stuff who luckily was based here in Nashville about things I needed to do, what vaccines I needed to get. And, and she really helped me prepare a lot for the trip. So so the the hospital you were working at was just outside of Nairobi. Is that right? It's a ways outside of oh, Nairobi. Okay. <laughs> it's... Um, it was like you let, you fly into Nairobi, then you take another hour long flight to Kisumu, and then it was like another three hour drive from there. Okay, so it's pretty so, remote. Very remote, yeah. So for anybody who hasn't been, can you set the scene a little bit? Because I know you you went through Nairobi National Park and saw all kinds of amazing yes. animals. Yeah, it's almost hard to describe because like you. I mean, everyone's seen like the National Geographic photos and stuff like that, but it's it's a lot of like cement structures, dirt roads. There's no pavement, a lot of like corrugated, like tin roofs. There's like very limited power lines and most of the power lines were all going towards the, the hospital. There's like no electricity. There's no indoor plumbing. there's lots of animals running around. There's lots of kids and stuff running around, but everything is, is very neat. And I don't know how to like fully describe that. Like everything's so like well tended and cared for, but it's, it's made with like things they have around them. 
Right. Just using the resources at hand. Yes. So you were there to aid community leaders with fundraising as well, yeah. right? Were you were you doing that while you were on the ground there? Yeah. So I was trying to do showing like what the daily life is around in there and um, only if like I had permission from any of the patients and like the doctors and stuff like that, but just kind of showing what life was like there. And then I would talk about all of the different programs that they had going on, um, some of the cases that I had seen. But the thing that I loved most about there was that everything just was filled with so much hope. And like, that's what really, I think, helped the communities grow. Like everyone just had so much hope and faith in each other. And I just, I I found myself talking about that (laughs) more than anything, but also the, the different stages and diseases that they were like helping to overcome. All good things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, One thing you you have talked about quite openly is white savior complex, which is basically the idea of if people don't know that of white yeah. people centering themselves as as heroes when they go yeah. to different countries to provide aid or services. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously something that volunteer organizations and nonprofits are kind of much more aware of now and concerned about. Yeah. And was that something that you had discussed with the organization before you left? You know, at that point, it wasn't something that I was, I didn't know the name of it. Quite honestly, at that point, I was like, oh, my God, like just everyone's so enthralled by those photos, you know, Um, you're just like snuggling and loving on all the babies, you know, and it's like everyone wants that like dream like photo. And that always kind of sat kind of icky in Mm. me because like I didn't want it to look like I was exploiting someone else, but you're also like the only white person in a predominantly black environment too. So it was like any pictures you take, like you're, you're totally going to stand out. (laughs) Yeah. But just one thing that I really appreciated when I was getting ready for the trip, I did ask them, I was like, so what is the photo policy? Because I didn't want to just be like snapping and posting all these pictures without like the consent of anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're like, well, most of the community members know have like already signed consent and stuff for things, but like everything has to be taken in like a very like respectful way. And like nothing can be posted that's like using any sort of like verbiage, like, oh my God, everyone's so poor here, but like we're doing so much good, you right, know, like right. that. Even like the, the concept of being poor is just so like, I wouldn't consider any of the people that I worked with poor because they just, they had so much, but it wasn't like what, like we're used to here in America is having is so much, but. It's interesting what you said about, because obviously you're using your bachelor platform. You have a big following Mm -hmm. and you're using that to raise awareness for this organization and, and help them. Yeah. So obviously that involves photos, but at the same time, right. you feel icky about posting these photos. So there's a weird tension there um, yeah. that must have been difficult to navigate. It really was because I wanted to do it the right way, but I was also making these relationships with like the people that I would meet and that I would work with. And like I wanted pictures with them and they wanted pictures with me, but then trying to 
I think like the biggest thing I had to ask myself was like, why am I taking this photo? And why am I posting it? Like right. just really getting to like the, that like real answer. I think you've hit the nail on the head there because, you know, some of my close friends took a gap year between school and college and went to teach mm-hmm. English abroad. And like, I know that they went because they're extremely caring people and they want to right. help. But I think sometimes we have to think about just because we know that we have the best of intentions doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean that no harm is done. You know what I mean? Like there's right. complexity there. Right. So, you know, as we find ourselves in this era where we're questioning how to tackle racism and all kinds of mm-hmm. inequality among people, like being a good human is not only about having good intentions. It's also about being able to, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand how your actions are actually being received and processed by them in light of, you know, um, historical and systemic issues around these things. So really, I guess it's about strengthening our empathy muscle and understanding how other people are feeling. Yeah, like if like if the situations were reversed and how would this like mother feel, you know, about you taking a picture with her child and then broadcasting that to the world? And like if they didn't wipe their nose and they had like some boogers or something like that, it would immediately look like this child wasn't as cared for as it was, you know. Right. You have to be aware of people's judgments. I'm interested to know, I guess, as well, back in the ward in Nashville. Mm hmm. How do people treat social media there? So it's very cut and dry. Like you cannot post photos of like your patients. Like you would never do that there. So like, why would you do that? Absolutely. In a completely different environment. Do parents post photos? I imagine that they sometimes do. Oh yeah, parents parents post photos. They can, but I mean like that's their child. Mm-hmm. They have like totally free right, to do story that. to share. Yeah. And I have shared some photos of patients that I've taken care of, but after I've discussed it with parents and like gotten their okay, because it's a, it's a world that like people are so enamored by because it's like, you're, you're taking care of these tiny, tiny little humans and how could they possibly survive? And like, or most people think you just snuggle and hold babies all day. And that's so far from what we do in the NICU. So when I asked parents how they would feel about it. They're like, yeah, please share the story. Like let people in and like see this world that we're in because it's like so many people don't know about it or are misinformed about it. So it must feel isolating sometimes for those parents. Yeah. Yeah. So while you were there, was there Mm -hmm. anything, was there like a moment from the trip that really impacted you where you were like, oh my God, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life? I'm sure yeah. a lot of it, but you know, one specific yeah, thing that comes to mind. There's a lot of moments, but one of the nurses, Jane, um, I had become like really close to, and she was one of the clinical workers and stuff that would go out in the community and do like home health checks. She was like, there's this one girl that like I'm really worried about now. I'd, I'd really love like your opinion on it. So if you can like come with me today, that'd be great. And I was like, yeah, of course. And we get to this like hut and they say hut but it was like this one was made out of like dirt there's like very few windows um but had like a roof door like everything like that it was just made from different materials but it was a very young woman um she well I can't even say well she had a baby so I feel like I should call her woman um but she was 13 um and she had been taken on as a second wife 
and she she had stopped feeding her well she had stopped breastfeeding because she had gotten mastitis and for someone who doesn't know what's mastitis mastitis is an infection um in your uh, lactating like in your milk ducts in your breasts so like the breasts become very engorged it's very painful and there's been like a lot of different research on it but like mostly people would well I guess this woman had been told that she couldn't breastfeed anymore and she couldn't afford formula so which the hospital would have given her but she also didn't know that so there's just just huge like gaps in information for her and like what she could do and at this point her milk had dried up so like she couldn't breastfeed anymore um but I told her I was like well for your next child like you can breastfeed through that like that's okay but um her daughter was so emaciated she was just nothing I mean just skin and bones because this woman just didn't know she didn't have like the resources and so I gave her like a full assessment and she was very vigorous very awake like very hungry and like wanting to feed and I was like literally the only thing that we have at this point is the the cow that's out front so I had mom go out there and she brought back a cup of milk and just started like spoon feeding her so it was like teaching her that like this was okay this is a good way to feed don't feed her too much right now even though she's really hungry because she might just end up throwing it all up but just like take it in like spurts but then do like figuring out a way for her to get into the hospital to like have her baby checked have her checked out and like get on the program with doing like weight checks and so like someone from the um clinic would come and check on her more often too so just kind of bridging that gap for her and like getting her the health care that she needed and for her ch- child was a really special moment. Oh, that make, that's heartbreaking. So she, how far away from the hospital does she live? It must have been a significant distance if she if she did, wasn't able to get there and speak to somebody, I guess. Yeah, don't remember exactly how far she was, but it was one of those things where she also was expected to work too. Okay. So just trying to help her figure out that balance and like what was all expected of her too in this new position as like a second wife and it was major culture shock because that's not something that we ever have to like we don't that's not a part of our daily life here Mm -hmm. so it was trying to be empathetic and not judgmental about something that like I honestly had no clue about that's like a heartbreaking story though but it must have felt good for you to feel like you were making a difference yeah yeah and like I checked on her more throughout the the week I was only there for like another four days after that but she had gotten into the clinic and had like more weight checks and got set up with some like formula and stuff at home too so she was she was definitely like on the right path so it was good to be able to know that like I had helped at least guide her a little bit more and how long were you there in total only two weeks um, that's all I could take off from work because I went right after paradise. So I had I had taken this only taken off a certain amount of time from the hospital and like I had to get back and, and get back to 
my day job. Oh my God. Well, what? night job, I guess, because I only worked nights. But so obviously, when you you got home, you've continued to work with the Lawala Community Alliance. How has your yes. role for them evolved? I ended up going back the next year and it's mostly, I feel like, a fundraising and like knowledge-based role. I did another um, event for them here in Nashville with some of their higher donors and just gave like a little talk about like my experience there. I um, ended up uh, inviting a bunch of people from like the Bachelor world to to come to Nashville and we threw like a big event and um, raised a chunk of money and stuff for Lawala. And it's just been, it's been so neat getting to share that with like other people from the Bachelor franchise and getting them excited about it too. And, and wanting to like use their platforms to make a difference as well. And it's just, just trying to, trying to be a force for good. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're doing it. It's awesome. I um, interviewed Ben Higgins about his work in Honduras, which is kind he's of along similar lines. so cool. Yeah, he's doing a great job as well. Yeah. Do you guys ever connect over your shared interest in this stuff? You know, we really haven't. Um, I've only met him once. But, I mean, I think we've just kind of like, oh, hey, that's awesome. Like, way to go. Like, what you're doing. But... We haven't really connected like more than that or combined forces to do like a big trip or something, which maybe we should. <laughs> you should, totally. Because I think his girlfriend's very big on the yeah. uh, volunteering. It's a really big heart for service too. So Right, exactly. One thing he was saying was that when he was on the show, he found it really difficult to deduce whether people were genuinely interested in you know, doing good and philanthropy or whether mm-hmm. they were just saying that because they knew it meant a lot to him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Danielle, I feel like this has become a typical Bachelor podcast now. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> We're just it's having, totally a, having a gossip. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to ask you is I think a lot of people obviously feel the urge to help, which is you know, one of human nature's more beautiful qualities and should be yes. you know, encouraged. But with consideration for the more problematic aspects of volunteering abroad, what would you, what tips would you give somebody who is considering a similar trip to yours? Do a lot of research. There's been instances where some of these companies and stuff you're working with, <laughs> I hate to even say it, but some of the people will sell off the donations that they get because they know they'll keep getting more donations for based off of how poor they look. And my advice would be to find an organization that focuses more on the community and teaching skills and really puts money back into the community and some organizations and stuff like Lawala, like everything there goes into training community members. So like that money is just going like right back into their economy and they're given this like huge sense of pride in their job and like what they're doing because they're they're building up their community. Sorry, there's a cat again. <laughs> um, and there's another organization I am hoping to do some more work with this summer. It's like a specific children's hospital that's actually not far from Luala. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go and like work with both of them this summer. But the hospital employees, widows from the from the villages in the community to 
be kind of like, I guess, like nurses aides or like doing like very, not like major like health work. Like they're not like their patients, but they're as like stand in like mamas, you know, like they can like hold and change diapers and do just kind of general stuff, but they're also making a wage, which and then gives them value, makes them feel value, makes them have their purpose. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. There's so many people that are doing like really (laughs) great things, but it's focused on the communities to help make change. Right. So it's all about basically doing your research and making sure that you're Mm -hmm. supporting and serving the community. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. I didn't ask you this, but was while you were out there, was it all about the work or did you get a chance to travel around Kenya a bit? Um, It was mostly about the work, but my, I think I had a full day in Nairobi. No, I think I had like two days in Nairobi before I flew back to the States. And that was amazing. Nairobi is such a fun city. Do you have any fun tips for like things to see and do in Nairobi? Yeah, there's a lot of like night, like nighttime, like clubs and stuff that are um, very safe, very fun to go to. There's some really good like hot pot (laughs) restaurants, oddly (laughs) enough. But there's also uh, the uh, David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, which is one of my favorite organizations. They rescue, also known as like the elephant orphanage, but they go out and they rescue these um, elephants that have been like where their their parents have been like shot by poachers or they're like stuck in wells or they're just so dehydrated um, and they take them back in, they nourish them, they get them well, and then they reintroduce them back into society and their herds they have a huge veterinary unit that goes out and they'll get calls about this elephant's walking around with like a harp or like a harpoon in like its side um and they'll go they'll drink the elephant clean it up and you know send him back on his way so like they do a lot with um rhinos and elephants and then there's also a giraffe sanctuary out there too that's really beautiful so those are great organizations that do really well for the animals yeah I'm a big animal lover so I would would love to go (laughs) thank you so much and I guess my final question is it sounds like you know Kenya moved you in lots of different ways but if you had to get super specific how do you feel that this trip changed you it had always been like a bucket list thing for me and I I I couldn't tell you why I felt it like on a spiritual level that like I just was being pulled there, that this this was something I was like supposed to do. This was a place that was going to be very important to me. And I just felt this was like one of the last nights in the village. And I, a little backstory, I had lost um, my fiance. Um, it would have been about six and a half years ago at this point. And there was like a huge point in my life where I just, I thought I was just going to kind of keep existing. You know, like I didn't really have a big want to, I was so depressed. I just didn't feel like a really big need to take, like, I, I basically thought my life was over. And I woke up one day and I was just like, this isn't how I want to live. I want to keep, 
I want to actually live my life. Like I can't just exist. And so I started thinking about all the things that like I had wanted to do and anything that seemed out of reach. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. Going to Africa and going to Kenya in particular, just, it always seemed so out of reach. And so like those things, I just really started trying to prioritize and like, and I knew that I wanted to, to do and be a part of. So like that last day that I was there in the village, I was, we were leaving this like farewell dinner party and I was on the back of this like peaky bike and it was just this clear, clear sky. This moon was just beautiful. There's all these stars, just red dust flying up all around me. And I'm just like, I'm here. Like it was, I was like, I did it. And I, I just, it was, it was like this weird body high (laughs) off of like life that I just was like, like you did this and there's so much more you can keep doing. Like this doesn't have to be it. And so it just really, I don't know if it was just achieving that goal or like doing something that I was scared to do or never thought would be possible was just so moving for me. It just, oh, I got chills thinking about it again. (laughs) That was a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much. I really respect what you do and yeah, all the, the good things that you're doing in the world. It's awesome. I appreciate that so much. So before you go, I have a couple of quick fire questions for you. Yeah. So what is the one thing you believe every person should experience in their lifetime? Traveling alone. That's the most common answer to that question. Yeah, you got to do it. Put yourself out of your comfort zone. What's the one thing you never, ever travel without? Uh, A neck pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Are you good at sleeping while on the move? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm usually asleep before the plane even takes off. Same. <laughs> that's the best. If you can sleep through the takeoff, that's the most nerve-wracking part, so then you're fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, favorite place you visited and why? Oh, gosh. Um, for service, it's probably Kenya. For fun, Iceland. Iceland is awesome. Very beautiful. It's so cool. Where do you think you were from in a past life? <laughs> this is going to sound really weird. Um, I I feel like I've, I've been from like a couple of different places. I definitely think at one point I lived in Africa. I think at another point, I think I lived in a Native American tribe, like in the Northwest. That's <laughs> very specific. <Okay>. Yeah, <laughs> I'm weird. <laughs> no, I like that you had answers to that because some people are like, oh, I don't know. But I feel like... I, I I know I was from Thailand, so <laughs> I like it when people oh, have a definitive so cool. answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I did like a a dream past life walk with it. Oh, did you? Once. That's fascinating. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, it was really wild. I was I've always been a healer. Oh, oh my god, we we need to do another podcast follow up now. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> if you could teleport anywhere just for the day, where would you go and what would you do? If I could teleport, yes. Oh my goodness. There are so many places I want to go. Just okay, but just for the day. Ooh, I want to I want to go to Burma and I want to see like the water uh, water balloons, the hot air balloons that they do out there. Nice. Um, I think that'd be beautiful. It would be. Window seat or aisle? Oh, window. 
I have to like if I wake up and then I can look down or I need to be able to lean against something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a good strategy if you can lean and sleep. Um, Hotel or Airbnb? I think I'd have to say hotel just because I really like my own personal space. I don't like feeling like I'm invading someone else's space unless I have the whole Airbnb to myself. Then I'm good. When you get one of those Airbnbs that's specifically for Airbnb and there's not really anything in there, that's great. But sometimes if you're staying in someone's home, but they're just absent, it's quite weird and voyeuristic. Yes. (laughs) Like this is all your clothes in the closet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's kind of weird. (laughs) It is kind of weird. Um, Name one place you're hoping to visit in 2020. Ooh. Oh, man. I literally have so many places that I want to go. I would really love to go to Cairo. That's like my goal. Yes. It's pretty amazing. I went when I was 18 and it was, I think (gasps) it was the first place I went to outside of Europe. And I felt like my mind was blown. I loved it. Oh, my God. I I just want to be there and experience it so badly. (laughs) I went down inside a pyramid which was, <gasps> it was interesting, but it was also, I mean, I, I don't even know how hot it was, but I felt like I was going to pass out. There was very narrow oh, no. and claustrophobic in there, yeah. but it was a cool, I was, I was like, I have to go in just so I can say I've been inside a pyramid. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and finally, Danielle, where can listeners find you on the internet? Um, They can find me, Um, I'm like, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Instagram is probably the easiest at DM Maltby and Twitter it's at Danielle M Maltby but I pretty much only live tweet like bachelor stuff on there <laughs> sometimes I'm really funny and I think I have a funny tweet and then nobody likes it so it's, it's fine I'll like your uh, tweets Danielle <laughs> uh, well thank you <laughs> but then you can also find me at the WOMED too on Instagram and Twitter um if you have any cool medical guests you want to send my way, I'd love to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You can find Danielle's podcast, The WOMED, wherever you listen to podcasts and connect with the show on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at The WOMED. To find out more about Lawala Community Alliance and the work they do, visit lawala.org. That's L-W-A-L-A dot org. Before you go, I want to introduce you to our on-staff travel advisor, Chelsea Martin. She's an affiliate of Embark and Virtuoso, and she's also a travel influencer in her own right. You can find her on Instagram at Passport to Friday. In this segment of the show, which I like to call Ask a Travel Advisor, Chelsea and I spend a couple of minutes discussing the ins and outs of her work. If you're curious about the kinds of perks you can score for your next trip, pay close attention. I'll also pick her brain on travel trends, tricks, and tips. Chelsea has been everywhere and knows everything about travel. Chelsea, when you plan for a client, how do you find the perfect destination for them? Well, each client is very different. So some of them come to me with full idea in mind and then some come to me and they're like hey we want a honeymoon in October for two weeks we have no idea like the world is our oyster where do we go so in those situations I get to know the client so I send a questionnaire and then we usually get on a phone call and I get to know honestly it's not even necessarily travel related things it's more what's your day-to-day like what things do you love like 
where do you find the most joy? Um, do you drink wine? Do you not drink wine? Like, what are your types, favorite types of food? What are you looking for in a destination? What are your favorite past hotels? A l- abundance of fun. questions. Like it this. is. It's like, <laughs> I know. And you get to know, like, you get to know cool people through it. So get to know that. And then I'll take a look at, okay, time of year, length of stay, where are they traveling from? Like, what just makes the most sense logistically? And then also with the time of year and everything. And from there, just we can find the perfect destination. And so for some people, it's super simple. And for some people, they might, I had a couple that wanted to stay in an igloo in Finland for their honeymoon. So they knew specifically what they wanted to do already. Or did you kind of crafted it and it ended up being perfect. So you never know. That's so cute. Given the theme of this podcast, I'm curious to know, have you ever booked any big transformative trips for your clients? Yeah, so celebrations in general are a big portion of the business. So I've helped orchestrate a couple proposals in Italy, a destination wedding in Ireland. But also I think just like trips where you're really reconnecting with a loved one. I did plan a trip once for a client that she wanted to surprise her husband for his 50th birthday and take him back to his heritage. So he had family from this very small town in Italy, like basically could only book Airbnbs around there because there was no hotels nearby. And we, I worked with a heritage specialist and traced his lineage and connected him with family members that he didn't even have any knowledge of before. And so did that. And then they went and vacationed on the Malfi coast. And it was just like, a. I mean, just uh, going back to his heritage was that's such amazing. a transformative trip, I think. Yeah. Uh, we should have this person on the, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Can you think of an international destination that feels like a well-kept secret? So I don't know if it's a well-kept secret per se, but I think a destination that a lot of people may just not know about yet is Mandarina, which is north of Sayulita. So you fly into Puerto Vallarta. Um, I think it's about an hour, hour and a half drive from there. But One and Only is opening there in June, and then they're building a Rosewood there. And I think there's a lot more in the pipeline. And it's just a stunning piece of coastline that really combines the beach with the jungle. And you can still go explore Sayulita. And there's a lot to see in that area that's been, it's been pretty untouched up until this point. So I think there's a romantic allure there for sure. One to watch. Yes. Can you share a time when a hotel provided a service that was above and beyond your expectations? So I love intuitive service. And I had an experience once when I was staying at the Lanesboro in London. So I checked in, was feeling a little under the weather, but I was like, going to go for a walk in Hyde Park anyways and just see how I feel. And I came back and my butler, which I know is not a luxury. <laughs> People have all the time, but had put together a bubble bath with tea, like a jet lag tea and Aww. soup. And I think just like when you're, when you have a experience where you can tell that they're really listening to what you're saying or overhearing something and then taking taking charge and doing something based off of that information, I think intuitive service is just absolutely the best. It really is. The ultimate luxury. Yes. Name an underrated U.S. destination. 
two destinations that I've been that I think get less play than some of their nearby towns are one, Telluride. I think we don't talk about Telluride as much as... I don't know where that is. <laughs> it's in Colorado. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I Honestly, I, like, I didn't know much about it until I went and I was like, why... Why do we not talk about here more? We talk about Aspen and Steamboat Springs and Vail and whatnot, but Telluride has such character and it's, I don't know, it's just an amazing destination in both the winter and the summer. And then also Ojai in California, which is truly a playground for, or a weekend getaway for people who live in LA, but it is still, I think, a well-kept secret to a degree because it's overshadowed definitely by Santa Barbara, which is nearby, or even Palm Springs. But there's so much you can do there of just getting away and hiking and spa. And there's wine tasting nearby and great food. And it's really just like a reprieve away from craziness. I'm very glad you said that because I'm going to a wedding in Ohio oh in gosh. November. I'm very excited. You'll love it. <laughs> Yay. If there's a burning question you'd like answered on Ask a Travel Advisor, you can send us a note on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. Alternatively, you can write to Chelsea directly at chelsea at fttadvisor.com. That's chelsea at fttadvisor.com. <laughs>